Welcome to the Bounty Zero X podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Adam, founder and CEO of Bounty Zero X. Bounty Zero X is a decentralized bounty hunting network powered by the BNTY token. My guest on the show is Arjun Optani. Arjun is CEO of Connects.network. Uh, Arjun, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot, Angelo. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So, uh, Connects is a free open source P2P micropayment infrastructure built using payment channels on Ethereum blockchain. Can you give us uh, a brief introduction on uh, what you guys are solving and uh, your product? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, one of the sort of like purported uh, benefits of blockchain from early on, or from of like Bitcoin from early on, was was like the ability to do internet micropayments, right? The the ability to have uh, you know content creators uh, be paid very small amounts of money for their content, or uh, or like micro fees going towards um, uh, you know paying for developer help, or machine to machine payments where your solar panel is paying your your electricity provider a very very small amount of money. Um, unfortunately, a lot of those things didn't pan out because uh, Bitcoin and in general, like a lot of the like the, the proof of work blockchains, um, are, were kind of an incomplete solution for for this specific uh, for this specific activity. Um, so on Bitcoin, you know, you uh, as a as a result of that, as a solution to that, people built the Lightning Network. Um, Connects to something really similar. We uh, we're building payment channel infrastructure on top of Ethereum. Uh, the goal is to have this eventually be a a full network that where anybody who's connected to the network can pay um, anyone else who's connected to the network for very very low cost. Uh, right now, we have a subset of that network available for use for for everybody, and uh, and what that does is allow you to pay uh, at at very low cost to anybody who's connected to a single node. Um, now we say that this is great for micropayments because uh, one of the one of the the way that payment channels works is that you have to sort of it's it's like a debit card you put in some money and and uh, uh, and then you pay directly from that and and I think uh, until people are willing to put it seems to be the the most prominent use case. Yeah. So what amount of money needs to be put in in order to open a channel uh, and are channels one to one with uh, one individual person or can they be one channel to multiple people? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So. We've we've sort of like um, we so so uh, okay so I'll ask for, I'll answer the first question first. Um, so right now channels are kind of expensive. Uh, the way that they work is that they're they're no longer just like a channel. It's it's a channel wallet. Um, you you don't just sort of open and close them anymore. Uh, you deposit and withdraw from them like you would with a normal wallet, and uh, and everything else is handled uh, in the background. Um, and your your channel sort of always exists. So like even if you even if you withdraw all of your funds from it, people can still send to you at that address. Um, because we've we've turned it into this like more complex construction, depositing into a channel is actually more expensive right now. I think it costs uh, four dollars on mainnet, which is which is in my opinion way way too expensive. Um, we haven't really done any gas optimizations in the contract, so I expect to reduce that down at least to like twenty five percent of what it is right now when uh, when we uh, when we actually do get a chance to do those changes. Um, as for how the channels work, uh, channels are right now are basically uh, created like there's there's one counterparty which is the user, and then the other counterparty is always the the hub or the node. Um, the hub is basically an automated actor. 
uh, it's a it's a daemon that just sort of anyone can can run that uh, looks a lot like a lightning network node um, where anybody who is connected to that node can pay anyone else who is connected to that node. So what happens is you, uh, Angela, if, if for instance I'm paying you, I would I would pay the node and the node would pay you. And then there's a there's a bunch of fancy cryptography that happens in the background to make sure that the the transaction payload is relayed correctly and that the the node isn't actually interrupting interrupting the transaction. So in theory, it's possible to have multiple people connected to a node and sending payments to other people. Yep, and I, I think that that's actually the biggest benefit is that um, I can I can put you know ten dollars into my channel, uh, I can pay you a dollar. And then I could also pay, you know, there there could be ten thousand, a hundred thousand people connected to the same node, if you know, or or more. I mean, there's there's really technically no limitation, um, other than the amount of collateral that people put in. Um, so so uh, I could then pay any of those other people without having to do another on-chain transaction, which is pretty mm -hmm. wonderful. Yeah. So, but each person needs to be needs to open up a channel in order to connect to it. Uh, all of these senders do. Oh, so, but a receiver doesn't need to open a channel to connect to the node? Technically not. Uh, now, we, we do have like a security mechanism in place where the receiver has to uh, quote unquote authorize, which just means that they have to actually claim the address so that the, the hub knows that this isn't just a spam transaction. But uh, no, there's nothing that other than that, there's nothing really that the receiver would need to do. Mm. And one of the features is that that coincides with with that is that uh, withdrawals from uh, the uh, channel are free. So let's say in an example use case, uh, you have a blog, a micro payments blog, where people post articles and they receive you know small uh, tips for creating content mm -hmm. uh, or reading content. Uh, once you receive that tip, you can then withdraw gas-free from the uh, the wallet that you receive that tip from and then send it to another another wallet without paying a transaction cost or transaction fee for that? Uh, yes, so long as that other wallet was also uh, connected to the same hub for now. So so your, your, the gas-free transactions happen when uh, everyone is connected to the same hub. Now you can you can withdraw and we, we have it sort of pre-configured where when you withdraw and that, that sort of completely exits the system. Um, we have it pre-configured so that when you withdraw and you withdraw to your MetaMask or your Trust Wallet or anything else, um, uh, the hub pays the gas for that right now. Um, that's, sort of, that's a tunable parameter and, and I expect that different projects will have different needs there. So uh, I don't expect that everybody will do that. So how are non-custodial versus custodial hubs uh, defined? Uh, that's a great question. So um, the cool thing about payment channels is that anything that you put in there is always not. Like the funds that you have in there are always non-custodial. So um, if I, when I say like a, a custodial hub versus a non-custodial hub, if I if I've put like $100 into my channel, um, that $100 is always mine. The, the uh, as long as I have the state for that hundred dollars, I can always reclaim it on chain. Um, now, what I mean by so so in that sense, it's always non-custodial. Now, what I mean by what we mean when we say custodial versus non-custodial payments is 
that the the transaction itself may be custodial. So if I pay you a dollar um, through the hub, there's two ways to do it. One would be I pay the hub a dollar, and then the the hub pays you the dollar, and then the you know the hub that while the while we're waiting for the hub to do the second half of that transaction, it's it's custo the the transaction itself is custodial because the hub could you know choose not to relay that one dollar and then uh, steal my one dollar. Um, now, of course, if they did that, I could just leave with my other ninety-nine dollars. So your your risk is is kind of small there, relatively speaking. But that is that is still so, that is still a, a trusted payment. Um, a fully fully non-custodial hub, uh, which is the you know which is code that we have working right now, but hasn't always been implemented everywhere, just because it's it's a little bit more complex, um, is where I send you, uh, I send the hub a transaction, but while I send the hub a transaction, I also send you an update saying, like a promise saying that I've sent the hub a transaction. And then if the hub doesn't do the second half of the, the, the payment, you can then put that that update on chain and uh, and claim $1 from the hub's, $1 from, from the channel, uh, from the hub side of the channel. Does that make sense? So it's kind of, it's kind of like a, like a, a uh, doing a dispute in, in the existing payments world. And so, in that case, the hub would need would then be required to pay the second half of the transaction, even though it, this the original sender never sent it. Uh, no, the the original sender would have to send it. So, what oh. would happen is, uh, you if you know if if we wanted to dispute this one dollar one dollar transaction, you and I would both go on chain. Uh, or, or you, just you as the receiver, would go on chain and show that I had, you know, I had made this commitment to pay you, and I had, and like I had also theoretically made this commitment to pay the hub, uh, which I could or could not have done, but you know, you don't necessarily need to know that. You could put that state on chain and get your one dollar from the hub, and then the one, the the hub can then now now has an incentive that, to then come to me and say, okay, well, you know, if I hadn't paid the hub. They can come to me and say, "Well, I, I, I still need this one dollar from you," and uh, and if I refuse to pay it, then the hub can do exactly the same thing. They can put that one, you know, the state that represents that one dollar on chain, and then actually force the contract to give me the dollar, give them the dollar. Sorry, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I read an example or an explanation of how the security of the payment channels is uh, is set up in that. Um, it, it relies each party to go on chain and use a smart contract to adjudicate and rectify disputes. So that was in the blog post that one of your colleagues wrote on your blog. Mm -hmm. um, let's two parties behave as though they're transacting on chain, even though they aren't, because uh, they have the ability to go on chain at any time as the balance updates that they send back and forth carry the weight of on chain transactions. The contract simply decides whose balance is more recent by pulling the main net chain. So the, it's yep. like an it's like an off-chain ledger that is then uh, settled on-chain. Uh, yep, exactly. In, in there. Um, exactly. And and like the what we what we found is that in in the vast vast majority of cases, um, people will not cheat because they know that even if they could cheat, they they wouldn't really get away with it, and they just pay like an additional transact like additional gas fees in order to settle the you know the dispute, but. Um, it's it's it ends up being in in like again in the in the majority of cases this ends up being a very secure paradigm. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so there are so you mentioned earlier uh, lightning on Bitcoin. Uh, 
as an example mm -hmm. of a state channel impl implementation and um, how on a, I guess on a high level and generalized level, what are some of the similarities and differences between the lightning implementation and the, I guess the Ethereum uh, state channel implementation that you guys have developed uh, is, I mean, I guess in, it's basically it's doing the same thing, but what are some of the similarities and differences? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the similarities are that uh, it's, it's, we were like very heavily inspired by Lightning's architecture. Um, uh, I think in general, all payment channels are inspired by um, the way that like payment channel networks are inspired by the way that Lightning has been implemented. Um, uh, there's a lot of similarities in the way that we like uh, do multi-hop transactions. A lot of the core assumptions are the same where, you know, I pay somebody and then they pay somebody and then they pay somebody and then that, that person pays the recipient. Um, mm. The, there's there's a few differences right now, and then there's a few differences which will always exist. Um, the few differences right now are that uh, for now, what we have available is we we sort of uh, Lightning and then Raiden um, have have sort of focused more on the first on the building the entire network and like having that network architecture be available. Uh, we took a slightly different approach where we wanted to make the 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 core technology usable for like actual commercial applications first. Um, while we did research on and like finished building out the rest of the network, um, it's a it's like a slightly different approach. Uh, like it's just you know validating different assumptions at different times. And because of the fact that Lightning and uh, and like now Raiden have spent some have spent the time building the network first, we felt kind of secure that we could rely on the networking being sort of the same. Um, mm. So so it's it's kind of just we're taking advantage of the open source knowledge that they've generated. Mm -hmm. um, in in uh, in the next year, our goal is to is to be in that like to to go in that direction and to have a multi multi hop implementation done. Um, and so I what I want is for Connects to look like that um, uh, within a year, obviously with some caveats. Um, now here's now there's there's uh, so that's that's the ways in which we're similar. Um, the ways in which we're different. Um, Lightning uses something called HTLCs. Um, which are hash time lock contracts. Uh, basically, uh, what happens is users send a payment that is locked, uh, and and you send a secret to the recipient, and uh, and then you know once that locked payment gets to the recipient, the the recipient unlocks it with the secret, and then um, and then sort of passes that secret back until so that everyone can then subsequently unlock the payment. Um, it's a it's a it's like similar to what we do except. Uh, it's different in some in, in like one core way. Um, ours is more like dispute based, where in the optimal sort of happy case situation, um, uh, there's a lot less work. And then in the in the the bad situation where there's a problem, there's a little bit more work. Um, so that's that's like one of the trade-offs that we've made. Uh, the other the other major difference is that uh, because of the fact that we're we're not using hash locks, we have the ability to really easily implement more arbitrary conditional payments. So we can like uh, do a payment and then have it resolved based on something that happens on chain. So I could pay you to calculate a zero knowledge proof for me. You could put that proof on chain and uh, and then you would only be able to redeem the payment if if you could prove that that happened on chain. Um, so that's that's like another, there's, we, we found that there's like a, a subset of use cases related to asynchronous payments um, that are still programmable and still need to be trust minimized that weren't really served by 
the existing lightning type paradigm um, of like, you know, both like the party needs to be online in order to pay. What are some of those use cases um, for asynchronous payments where the party's uh, not online? Like where, uh, yeah. what would be like a commercial application of, of that type of uh, use? Yeah, good question. Um, so I think one, so the the places where Lightning is really great and like in like synchronous payments, which which we have available right now are really great are uh, places where like both, like one or both parties are online. Um, so like if I'm, you know, I'm watching a video stream and paying like once every 20 seconds to like, you know, uh, micro paying like one cent every 20 seconds or something like that to watch it, watch a stream. Um, that's that's a great example of something that you can do now very, very well. Um, it's also very good for like a single payment where like I go to a grocery store and I, I buy, you know, uh, $2 worth of stuff and I just like pay and then leave. Um, it's uh, the the latter, which is conditional payments and asynchronous payments are good for things like marketplaces where um, I pay for, you know, some computation on Golem. Um, and uh, and then I don't, you know, I, I don't want to stick around and wait for that computation to be done, but I do also don't want my payment to uh, to succeed if the person, you know, says they're going to do the computation, but then doesn't do it. Um, so it's like in, in situations where you're, where you're not really like live and around. And what we found is that that tends to be the case for more peer-to-peer marketplaces rather than, you know, content or rather than uh, just mach- pure machine-to-machine payments. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so you mentioned... A minute. Uh, you alluded to your roadmap uh, over the next year or so, focusing more on the uh, networking side rather than the commercial uh, mm-hmm. side. So, what else is? Uh, what are some other uh, roadmap uh, plans that you have over the next? Uh, I guess you know one month to mid to mid to long term. Yep. Um, so, there, there's a couple of things that we we. A couple of assumptions that we want to validate right now. Um, a big one that we're trying to figure out is uh, is to figure out how better to allocate collateral within hubs. Um, right now, the incentive to run a hub is is like there, there's still an incentive if you're if you're you know an existing organization that that wants to provide payments to your users. Um, but aside from that, it's the incentive to run a hub is actually low for for the average person because. Uh, the cost of uh, like financing collateral for it is still high. Um, uh, we we want to find we we're we're interested in finding really good ways to to scale our our own understanding of that. Um, and and I can come back to that in a second. Um, the the other things that we're really interested in in like proving out before we before we start on the next step of of like building the network is uh, uh, figuring out what sorts of other issues there are around around payments that we just don't fully understand yet. Um, uh, so like a, there's a whole category of unknown unknowns, um, asynchronous payments, you know, conditional payments was was one of them where we where we weren't really sure if there was a lot of value in that. And then recently we spoke to a bunch of projects that were like, no, we would really need that um, in order to, to function at all. Um, and so now we now we understand why those need to exist. Um, now, it, from a, from a more material standpoint, what we're doing right now is uh, we just launched uh, or we're just in the process of launching uh, card.connects.network. Uh, that's a a very basic, uh, like a channel implementation that uh, uses a hub that we ourselves are hosting. That's Dai Maximalist. Um, 
the goal with this is to it, it kind of looks like the the burner wallet it kind of looks like you know spank chain spank card uh that's actually where we got our, our influence from um the the goal with it is just to give people a very easy way to 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 start using channels and and not have to think about it um and so you could you could actually check that out today it's it's uh, available on rinkaby we put it up there a couple of days ago um, and then we're planning on putting it on mainnet within the next couple of days as well um the the secondary goal is to so so you know that's the the primary goal and that's actually how we're collecting data on on collateralization is we're just going to run our hub, run a hub ourselves and uh, and eat the cost and then you know at some point we will figure out how to reduce that cost uh, because we'll be very incentivized to do so um, the secondary thing uh, that we're that we're interested in doing right now is integrating with as many projects as possible so um, uh, you know projects that that need to do payments to their users uh, with with uh, in a way that's very low friction in a way that like doesn't cost a lot of money um, and uh, and either where they're using our hosted hub or where they're spinning up their own hub because I think both in both cases we can learn a lot yeah, yeah we'll include a link to the car.connects network and uh, that supports so you recently announced that you're going to be supporting the uh die erc20 token and that's in the uh card uh page in the card wallet or yes. the card hub mm -hmm. yep but but in theory any any erc20 token can be used um, in a hub but this is just one of the hubs that you built with uh support for die Yes. As a as a use case, as a proof of uh, concept. Yep, exactly. Um, we the way that the way that sort of hubs work right now, um, and this is definitely something that we that we plan on changing. But from a from a security standpoint, uh, we we limited hubs to one token in ETH for now. Um, we we tried spinning up a hub earlier where uh, with Spankchain, like uh, in in October, where you know you could a user could input any token. Um, and transact in any token, and that was really cool. But the problem is that uh, that opens up a set of attack vectors related to users uh, creating malicious tokens, where the token contract itself does something different than what we expect. And uh, and so what we what we wanted to do was was like we wanted to shut off all of those you know potential attack vectors for now while we while we figure out the rest of the technology, um, and then and then come back to that when when we find that there are enough people that want to create hubs with multiple different tokens. So yeah, that makes sense. So uh, let's see what do I want to want to just on a just changing topics and uh, going to an example use case uh, of the uh, we have added to our Telegram channel the Parjar. Um, mm -hmm. It's a, a bot that allows easy tipping, um, mm -hmm. and our users have, you know, been very uh, positive in in their uh, support for that type of mm -hmm. uh, product. They're you know, really excited and they use it quite frequently. So it just shows, I think, the potential for uh, that type of uh, use case. And mm -hmm. I think that I don't think they're doing state channels uh, implementation. Are you familiar with with that and how that that works? I'm not, but I definitely want to check it out. It seems really interesting. Okay. Um, so tell me what some of the metrics uh, over the next 12 months, you talked about some of the, uh, pro some of the assumptions you're going to be working on. 
what would be a metric for success uh, over the next few months or 12 months that you think would be uh, some accomplishments that you guys would be uh, happy uh, if you guys uh, uh, completed? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there's two. Um, one is uh, so in the in the short to middle term. Uh, so within the next few months, I think a metric that we're really interested in tracking is the amount of funds locked up in the hub by users um, and in all of our hubs across you know all all of the hubs that are being run by users. Uh, I think that's a that's a pretty interesting metric because it's it's kind of a proxy for uh, for like transaction volume. It's kind of a proxy for the the sort of uh, uh, the the use of the hub itself. Um, we we can track more in depth metrics, which are you know number of transactions done and uh, and like actual transaction volume per per payment. Um, but uh, the the you know the the metric that I mentioned, which is just uh, the amount of funds locked up, is something that's publicly available. So so the so uh, you know like the doing tracking that would just be a matter of of checking on chain on each contract to see how much how like what the what the value of the contract is um minus you know what the value of the the hub the value that the hub is holding um uh the latter two things are things that we'd have to actually go and talk to hubs get their database logs and like query their databases for for actual uh for for their own metrics which Sometimes, in some cases, we'll have issues with privacy, so we're we're still sort of iffy on that. Um, long term, I think, or slightly longer term, I think what I what we'd want to focus on is the number of nodes slash hubs we have up. Um, uh, I, I the the only distinction there is that hubs are uh, we're we're calling them hubs while they're they're not all connected to each other, but the moment that they are, the goal is to, like the they would be nodes in in the network. Um, and at that point, I think the number of nodes in the network is definitely a very, very valuable metric for us to to keep track of. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> on this is a side note. I was on Twitter uh, reading someone who tweeted about uh, how there's a lot of uh, you know excitement about Lightning, but that if for people who think that Lightning is this you know scaling solution. Uh, that will solve all of the problems that Bitcoin is facing. They're not mm-hmm. being very realistic. And I think they listed a couple of reasons why that is the case. And I think one of the reasons they said was that um, there is, it's it's not uh, practical to expect uh, people to fund uh, these state channels just to receive like a, a small micropayment. Um, I think I'm not really doing the quote justice because I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly what it was saying, uh, mm-hmm. like this, the specific, but it was something along those lines, like a, a comment that it, it didn't make sense for users to have to, you know, invest like a sum of money in order to maybe, uh, you know, get back this, uh, or, or to, to pay the cost up front to create mm-hmm. the channel. Liquidity. Um, and then, yeah. Yeah. I think that was, so is there like how much, uh, is is the amount of money that needs to be funded into a channel uh, proportional to, I guess the uh, uh, like the number of transactions that are going to be going through that channel? So, 
so how is that calculated? Like how much funds need to be uh, uh, locked up? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. how much funds need to be locked up? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. That's actually the exact collateralization problem that we're trying to learn more about right now. Is that we? It's it's hard to it's hard to actually it's hard to tell. Um, so in a in a lightning style network, what's happening is that people are are constantly paying each other back and forth. So so nodes that are in the middle that are being routed over a lot are uh, are are seeing direct volume are seeing like payment volume going in both directions. Now, if that money is going in both directions, um, and if you're able to make it so that the the rate that money is flowing in in you know uh, from like east to west is the same as it's flowing from east to e west to east, in that case, you don't actually ever really need to recollateralize your channel, right? And then the in that case, the amount of money that you have in your channel just needs to be equal to the largest size of payment that you're willing to allow, right? Because then you could do one payment that like you know pushes all of the collateral from one side of the channel to the other side of the channel, and then that's it. Um, now the 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 problem is that obviously this doesn't really happen in practice. Uh, you know, there like recollateralization is definitely a thing that needs to happen. Uh, the the cost of recollateralizing and the headache of recollateralizing is is a is a problem because in in many cases payments are unidirectional. So like people are receiving a lot more than they're than they're sending, um, and so so the the one of the big criticisms is that Lightning isn't very realistic about how that would work. Um, and uh, and I, and I definitely think that there's there's merit to that. Um, uh, and now the the other big criticism is that um, uh, what is the incentive for the node to actually put up collateral in the first place? Um, so I can I can sort of to to address the first one. I think uh, they're working on ways to make it uh, make like break up payments in ways where they can be done more efficiently, so that the the network sort of rebalances itself more and more optimistically over time. Uh, in our case, that's definitely something that we want to do and we want to buy into. But for now, all we do is we've made it very, very easy to recollateralize. Um, nodes actually keep their funds in in the channel contract itself, and so you can recollateralize a channel uh, or a set of channels um, as part of an on-chain transaction that happens when a user deposits funds, um, and the user just pays like a tiny, tiny amount more gas. But then, uh, of course. Excuse me. Of course, the the hub can uh, can then reimburse the user for that. Um, you know the the few cents that that would take. Um, the the other problem is uh, is uh, is uh, as I mentioned is like the uh, nodes not having enough incentive to put in collateral. That's definitely an issue. Um, what what Lightning assumes is that the the amount of money that you'll make from being a node is is valuable enough to you. That you'd be willing to hold up that collateral somewhere. Um, basically, what that means is that you know, if you are willing to put a bunch of collateral into the node, you should be making more than uh, you know a, a couple of percent APR, whatever whatever you could make on a on a low risk loan. Um, that is a a good question that no one really knows the answer to yet. Uh, it's it's kind of it's like possible that it works out in one of two ways. Um, either Lightning, uh, like either there's a lot of centralization around Lightning uh, because there's a bunch of people who have very cheap access to collateral, and then they're able to then like store that collateral in in nodes and uh, and uh, and then like earn this return on it, and then they crowd out everybody else from the market. Or um, Lightning finds other ways to reduce this this burden. Um, 
and make it so that like smaller nodes are more incentivized as well. Uh, we're not really sure about the answer to that ourselves. That's definitely something that we we want to find out more about. Um, we I do think it's possible to run a hub profitably and like like very profitably uh, if if it's done correctly. And I also think it's possible for that collateral itself to be borrowed by the open market on Ethereum, uh, which I don't know if it's something that you could do as easily or in a trust minimized way on Bitcoin. Um, so that's that's definitely something that I think is 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 like a an interesting thing on Ethereum that where we are looking into trying uh, is is making it so that it's like uh, Uniswap where you can have the open market provide liquidity for the hub and then or for any or for any nodes and then users can then just like transact using that liquidity and then liquidity providers can earn uh, a return on their uh, on the fees that are generated from the hub directly. So the hubs could be basically like third parties who are doing it uh, for a profit. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, so it'd be like a third party software that companies, uh, instead of starting their own hub, would go to like a, another company that offers this hub as a service. Mm -hmm. Is that how that would work in practice, potentially? In practice, yeah. Um, that's the ultimate goal. Obviously, for now, as a company, it's like better, like, for now, as a company, you can spin up your own hub, and and there's there's value in doing that in the short to middle term, just so that way you have access to to it faster. Um, mm -hmm. But in the long term, I I kind of expect that it's going to be either, you know, career hubs where it's it's a you know a hub is like a a, a dedicated payment processor or payment you know provider that uh, whose liquidity or whose collateral may come from the open market because they've sold their debt basically like quote unquote debt to the open market that anyone can buy into and they can you know people can provide the liquidity for this hub and earn a return on it or uh it becomes easy enough for anyone to spin up a, like a, a hub or a node themselves and uh, and then people just sort of do it uh on their computers right and then then it's just like mining where it's like uh, yeah you just you just have a program running on your computer that makes you a few cents every x amount of time yeah, I, I see those two different scenarios. Uh, that makes sense. So, in the case of the, how much like collateral is is needed in order for a, a hub? Like, what is the ratio of collateral needed in a hub in order for the the hub to meet a certain transaction volume? How's that yeah. calculated? Um, yeah, that's a good question. It's uh, it's at least one to one. Yeah. Um, so if you know if like. Uh, if I have 10,000 users and they all put 30 dollars each, the hub should be in most. Yeah, the hub would end up be end up staking at least three hundred thousand um, dollars. Then it sort of becomes a gas price optimization issue, where it's like, if the hub stakes three hundred thousand dollars, but then it's you know constantly rebalancing, then the gas price of it constantly rebalancing is probably higher than it just. Uh, than the cost of it just staking another hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars in order to reduce gas price. Right. So so you know it's it's probably more than a one to one. It's probably more like somewhere like somewhere around one point two, one point four, one point five to one. Um and uh and maybe even greater than that. Wow. So these yeah. hubs could actually have need access to pretty large amounts of like substantial sums of collateral in order to to function at, at a larger scale, yeah. And let's say but like an it, application like Twitter or something. Yeah, but but the the one thing to keep in mind is that um, what we're talking about here isn't like 
the when we when we say volume we don't just mean like you you can't compare it as apples to apples to like volume on like the visa network right because i think that's one thing that people keep trying to do is they say well visa processes trillions of dollars of payments are you going to put in trillions of dollars into your hubs um i don't think it actually works like that because when nodes are connected to each other they will at least to a certain extent uh rebalance themselves to at least to a certain extent there will be payments going back and forth and so you are going to get efficiency gains on that over time um which which will drop down that ratio for for at least some organizations. Um, so I think I think the like really what the what what the like the one to one is really against the amount of money that users have put in currently, not the amount of money that users are transacting. Um, I could you know users could transact uh, like it, maybe a more material way to say this is like I could put one dollar into the hub right now. Um, the hub could stake one dollar and and I could pay you that dollar. And then you could, and so the the hub could like pay it to you, and then you could pay that dollar back to me, and then I could pay it to you, and we could just do that back and forth a hundred times. And we've done a hundred dollars worth of payments. Um, there's a hundred dollars worth of technical volume going through the hub, even though there was only one dollar ever collateralized. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so let's jump over to um, your. Uh, let's briefly talk about the team at uh, Connext and tell me a little bit about how many people you have uh, working and uh, uh, a little bit about the background of the team members and uh, uh, you know uh, how much uh, development resources you have access to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're, we're actually a very small team. Um, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of small teams. I think small teams can get a lot more done with a lot less overhead just because uh, where we are in the industry right now requires a lot of experimentation and that requires moving very quickly. Um, so so for us, it's been really great to have a very low communication overhead. Um, there's only five of us on the core team. Um, there's three founders uh, and then uh, all three of us founders are technical. We we sort of have our own specializations within the tech. Um, I'm I've been dealing with more of like the protocol uh, dev and protocol research stuff. Um, and then uh, and then uh, my co one of my co-founders Lane has been working more closely on the on the client and middle layer stuff. And then uh, Rahul is who is our CTO is uh, is working more on the hub uh, and like over -arch overarching architecture things. Um, uh, we also have um, Hunter, who is our head of growth. Uh, he's doing uh, everything that is all, all of the non-technical parts of, of Connext, uh, including, you know, all of our marketing and all of our growth strategies, things like that, uh, all of the data collection around that. And then in addition to that, he's also doing um, a bunch of work on uh, on our UI. Um, it's a workhorse. It's amazing. Um, and then uh, uh, last but not least, uh, we have uh, one more employee. Um, Bo, who is who is uh, immensely helpful with DevOps, um, so he he does a lot of the DevOps stuff, but he's also a full stack dev and has been helping out in other places too. Then our, our community is uh, um, we probably have I don't know like ten to twenty people who we communicate with extremely regularly and uh, and constantly are getting feedback from who uh, and like some of those people have have also like uh, you know submitted PRs for things that are broken who, uh, after they've tried things so so there's a there's a certain element of that we're still working on on uh, scaling up our, our open source contribution so so you know anybody who has any advice there we'd really appreciate it um, and then uh, the the greater connects community uh, is you know a, f a few hundred people who who like 
are pretty invested in the project and pretty interested in, in like in seeing the new things that we put out. And you have uh, the Gitcoin grants. So you guys just got your first grant through Gitcoin. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what other projects or what other funding sources have you guys uh, tapped into? Do you have uh, VCs or angel investors or what type of uh, um, mm -hmm. funding have you guys looked into up until now? Um, and what are you planning? Are you planning on any uh, additional funding stuff? in yeah. the future? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we, we raised from VCs a while back. Uh, that was back when we were doing card payments um, and like trying to integrate. Uh, basically, what we were originally building was uh, a way for uh, a way to integrate like legacy payments, legacy payment networks and, and like banks uh, to uh, blockchain, specifically to tokens. Um, because we, we wanted, you know, we, we saw tokens as a, as a really interesting, utility tokens as a really interesting way to, to generate value and something that like people would need to be able to have easy access to in order to, to use. Um, unfortunately, that didn't pan out because uh, we, uh, that was right when the ICO boom happened. And so um, uh, obviously the, the sentiment towards tokens from the existing financial industry was not very good at the time. Um, and we, we also found that there were deeper issues associated with payments that we that like no one else was addressing, which is why we started doing what we're doing now. Um, so we, we raised back then when we were working on that and uh, and our investors have been extremely supportive of the pivot um, and are, are still supporting us. We've also gotten uh, a grant from the Ethereum Foundation, um, uh, which we, we, we got last uh, in the fall. And uh, and then this year we're, we're expecting to raise a couple of more uh, or apply for a couple of more grants, and then hopefully within uh, maybe within six months or so, raise another round. Okay, great. Um, so we've covered everything. There's one other thing that I wanted to briefly touch on more on the tech. Going back uh, to the technical side, it was this um, this concept of uh, quote unquote generalized state channels, mm -hmm. um, and and the distinction between the generalized state channels and I guess the the types of state channels which you guys which Connects has so far developed and and how that difference is uh, is uh, established. So my understanding is that generalized state channels just refer to being able to interact with a contract on a more general basis. So not just payments, but also other types of transactions and other types of. Uh, contract, you know, online smart contract based, based functionality, but not just solely related to sending payments from one user to another. Uh, so is that, how would you describe that? And is that a good characterization of it? Uh, sort of. I think there's there's pretty big limitations, which I think most people, uh, uh, which, which aren't really covered well in like the way that people think about generalized state channels. Um, uh, the first is that there there's limitations to channels in general. Um, channels are constructs where all parties need to agree in order for an action to be taken, um, and and so that so there's no need. It's kind of nice because it, there's no need for a, a consensus model. There's no need for anything. Uh, there's no need for like information propagation or anything like that, where where everybody needs to be on the same page in order to take a decision, right? Um, and and not having that dramatically simplifies the the way that uh, you're able to update state or the way that you're able to do things. Um, of course, uh, not having that also means that it's very, very difficult to have a state channel with, you know, 
hundreds of thousands of people in it because every anytime you did anything, every single person would need to come online and sign that thing in order to prove that that they agreed with it. Uh, so obviously that's that's kind of out of the question. Um, so that's 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 one big limitation. Um, the other big limitation is that as uh, it's the is the nothing at stake problem where it's not it's not really valuable to put something into a channel unless there is value in it being done in a trust minimized way. And the only things where it, there's value in it being done in a trust minimized way are things where, uh, uh, you know, there is some value potentially being transferred. So, so in other words, is, is, are things where it, it is, can sort of boil down to a payment or a transaction of some sort, right? So, so like you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to run, uh, you know, a game of chess in a state channel where there was no like there was no point to winning right like there was no uh there was no uh financial outcome like you you would want to run a game of chess in a, in a payment channel or like in a state channel if uh winning meant you want some money uh but just a normal game of chess they would they, it wouldn't really make sense um uh and and i think that's kind of true for things that go on the Ethereum blockchain in general where it's like blockchains in general or like uh, at least ethereum in general is is really valuable for transfers of value is really valuable valuable for like conditional or very complex transfers of value or storage of value but it, but it is all fundamentally related to value so the way that i would describe generalized state channels is uh generalizability in state channels is is this scale that goes from you know, very, very simple payments where it's just one-to-one -one payments where both people are online, um, all the way up to, you know, very, very intensive generalizability where you have some like uh, conditional resolution logic that can be arbitrarily complex, which, which decides who gets paid what. Um, but it's always on that scale of like, someone is being paid to someone is being paid in a much more complex way, if that makes sense. Yeah, got it. Sounds good. Uh, all right. So I've covered everything. Uh, we're 45 minutes into it. Uh, I appreciate, you know, you're taking your time. I don't want to, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, take too much of your day uh, for this. And I appreciate you uh, sitting down to uh, come on the podcast and share a little bit about what you're working on with our audience. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure and it's great having you on. Uh, so my guest on the show has been Arjun. Uh, sorry, could you tell me your last name one more time? Buktani. Uh, my guest on the show has been Arjun Buktani. It was a pleasure having you, and uh, we look forward to uh, having you on again uh, in the future when you have new announcements to make, and uh, look forward to speaking again soon. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Angel. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bounty Zero X podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast below. Check out BountyZeroX.io, the number one bounty hunting platform where you can complete work and earn cryptocurrency. Please consult your professional financial investment and tax advisors before making any investment in initial coin offerings. BountyZeroX does not provide investment or financial advice and does not endorse or recommend investment in any ICOs advertised on the BountyZeroX podcast or website.